0: Story that must be told. <laughs> From to end. Now, here's a little story I got to, got to tell, tell. Here is a story about music Stories About Songs, Season 2, with your host, Kevin Beecham. Hey, yo, the the is rocking on your radio, I want to get back to connecting to a story from episode one of season one uh, and my time growing up in Germany or living in Germany in my youth I should say more accurately Uh, so from ages seven to ten I lived in Karlsruhe, Germany and then from ages ten to fourteen I lived in Stuttgart, Germany on a uh, base called Pattonville as we called it Pville, and when I moved to Stuttgart in March of uh, 1980, that was only a few months after I had heard rap for the first time. And this is a story I've told a lot, you know, in the past. But to briefly overview, my dad. Had to go to school in Indiana as we were living in, in Stuttgart. He went to uh, some training in Indiana. He also was an avid recorder of like, you know, um, radio and he would record tapes from the radio. And he would, you know, I, I remember I have these memories of him like sitting there listening to the tapes. And like we had like this um, when we lived in um, Stuttgart, we had uh, one room that was a music room. We had the stereo in there. And, you know, this a stereo room. You go in there with a couch and listen to music and he would be in there listening to tapes and then writing out on the, on, the, on the J card, writing down the songs and the artists. And that was something that I watched him do and, and it stuck in my head. And so he was in uh, Indiana, you know, in the end of 1979 and he was listening to and recording the radio there. And so he wrote my mom, wrote the family letter, you know, mainly to my mom but you know each had a section for me and also for me and my sister in the letter and for the section for me and i still have this letter he's talking about this song he heard on the radio that he'll think he'll like he recorded it on the radio and that he's gonna send me the tape i don't think he ever actually sent me the tape but what he did was when he came home he had just found the record and he brought me the record. And that record was Rapper's Delight. As Soon as I heard Rapper's Delight, I was just standing there like in shock. And I was like, I have to find everything that sounds like this. And so that kind of started my my, uh, mission to find every rap song in the the universe. something that I've been on since that day, I suppose. And, you know, so that's in like the tail end of 1979 or maybe January of 1980, right around then. And so then like this two months later after that, you know, two, three months later, we moved to Stuttgart, Germany. So rap is still very new. and I'm still very much trying to find everything I can here in the new place. I learned right away just from listening to the few songs that I had heard that New York was the place that's the only place i was hearing as far as where people were from in those handful of rap songs i heard in that you know early six months or whatever and so i learned right away you gotta find people who have just moved here from new york sometimes other cities as well like there was a time you know a little bit later when someone moved there from washington dc and then That's how I learned about Go-Go. But that was like, you know, years later. And, you know, maybe there was a couple other spots people bought tapes from. But honestly, nothing stands out for people bringing tapes. It was just New York at the time. So if you knew someone moved there from New York, they had to be my best friend. I had to try to befriend them. But that was the other side of the problem. Even though... So now, you know, in this time, I'm like 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, up to 14. Even though kids my age were listening to and appreciating and enjoying rap, maybe as much as I was, I can't think of anyone else in my age group that was as active and adamant about pursuing it and wanting to be involved in it and wanting to find every rap song. No one else... At my age, I recall being quite like that, you know, not for a couple of years, not in the 10, 11. Right around age 12, there's um, my guy Roger Nicodem. I I shot Roger Nicodem, my guy Roman. He was from Guam and uh, him and my dad worked together. Yeah. So there was a few people that I got a little bit older. But like at the start, it was really I was the only one of my age that I remember being like that. It was all about the older kids. And if you grew up <laughs> as a human being, <laughs> you might realize that a lot of time the older kids don't want to associate with younger kids. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was like beat it, kid. You hear about all the rap songs like Microphone Fiend and uh, Get From Under the Ropes. Like They don't want the young kids involved. The stories of like Theodore, his brother, mean Gene, older brother Mean Gene, not wanting him around You don't want the the little kids around when you're trying to do your grown-up rap thing and you're in high school or what have you, or junior high to our elementary school. But my oldest sister was popular and recognized as being a cool person in the neighborhood so some of the older people and older guys who may have had a crush on her or whatever who knows you know were a little more tolerant of me being around and showing me what was up with the music and then also i think even though i was definitely a kid and i was i could be wild and silly and immature and the list of anything else that my friends could be i also just knew from home you know like if i'm around my parents i'm just gonna have a slightly different way of doing things to stay out of trouble. I just sort of adopted that when I was around these older kids so that they just saw me as a little more mature, and that also helped them embrace me. So I was just finding these people from New York or wherever and seeing who had tapes. Now, in the beginning, it was a little more tricky because I, I don't even know what this was. I had, like, this simple portable cassette player, maybe a Sanyo or something. It was just one deck, simple small player and so it was not always easy to record tapes like I have this particular memory my um, you know we lived on the second floor I think it was apartment four and right below us apartment two or what have you was um Joe Williams a guy that was older than me a little bit of a neighborhood hard rock but super cool dude he was a popper he helped teach me how to pop you know when I wanted to get my dancing on early on But he um, had this tape that I really love these songs. It was like, I didn't know anyone else that had these songs. Like for years, I'm saying, I never even knew what these songs were. Like I mentioned this, I think, in the the first episode of season one, that how I wouldn't know about certain songs. This tape is one in particular. I didn't know who these artists were, what the songs were called. For decades, he had this tape, and I had no way to dub it. I remember just getting my radio and his radio in this, you know, a blank tape in mine. I played his and his, had the speakers just facing each other, sitting in my living room, hoping it would be quiet enough to record it, because I didn't have any, like, RCA cables. If I don't even know if the, those radios had RCA input, outputs at the time yet, but it was just like, Put these two radios close together, speaker to speaker, and hope for the best. And in that moment in particular didn't go well. It's like on that tape, because I still have the tape, it's like there's a moment where you hear the doorbell ring and my dog Honey Bunny, Honey Bunny Beecham, barks and my mom turns on a vacuum and I and I protest, Mom, no vacuum, I'm recording. And to this day, when I hear those songs, no matter if I where I hear them, those sound effects are still part of my memory with those songs and like so like when i hear uh chapter three real rocking groove and just four girls of the world those are the songs that have those like little additional sound effects and i remember them That tape also had uh, Spanish Flying the Terrible Two Spanglish, the first time I heard, like, multilingual rap. So that tape was a really important tape that was given to me by Joe Williams. And so that kind of experience (laughs) of not being able to get a good copy, you know, led to me, like, telling my parents that I needed a better tape player. And so, you know, for my 12th birthday, I got what I consider one of the greatest Tape decks, portable tape decks to ever be created in my own personal experience, you know, which is maybe only slightly above minimal. The Sharp GF575 Dual Cassette Deck that I still have and is functional. I would have that double cassette deck and just try to go around. Now I can just dub tapes. It had high-speed dubbing, so... I don't got to take up too much of your time. Let me get that tape, high-speed dub it, and get you on your way. And so getting those tapes was just, like, so important. And the thing is, having those tapes could increase your social status for a short time. You had a tape that no one else had with songs that no one else had or no one had heard before, you could become more popular based on that. So they didn't always want to give that tape out because if someone dubbed it, they had to share their popularity with someone else. So I learned I had to be, like, slick with it. So I have these memories, like... (laughs) One time I went to like the, the basketball court where the older kids played, and there was one of the guys that had one of those tapes like that. He would, like, he would, he always had that tape with him. Every I knew everywhere he went, he would have that tape so he could play and just be like, Yeah, I'm the only one. And so I remember I wanted it so bad, and I was so nervous, but I couldn't help it. I just, you know, stood by there, down over there by where. Uh, uh, where one of the where the tapes and tape player was at and when he stopped playing his tape and something else went in there and then when they ran down court i grabbed the tape i went in a high speed dubbed it and then i put it back before he knew it was missing <laughs> i knew that was like a big risk because i got caught you know i might have ruined my chance of ever getting any other tape ever again no one would trust me and so i had to be very cautious but i had to get that tape You know, another time. Another kid. He had a tape that I. Everyone was talking about the most popular tape, and he just. He was like being very like, adamant, you know, whatever the word is. He was he was flaunting it. He was flaunting that tape, like he was not just having that tape everywhere he went. He was going everywhere specifically because he had that tape. <laughs> I remember there was going to be a house party, and I just went there super early with my. Sharp GF 575, and it's like, hey, my radio is better than yours. Let's play the music on here for the party. And they were like, sounds good. We'll, we'll play the music on your radio. And I did that because I knew that guy could not resist not coming to that party with that tape. <laughs> And somebody walked in the door. I was just, I can't remember who, what his name was. I just—I could, I could picture him walking in the door with his like curl and yeah, he had like a white jacket, the skinny, I think a leather tie, was the thing back then. I could picture him. I could picture his face and his mannerisms. And he walked in that door and I was just like, you know, like a over anxious greeter at a retail spot. And I was just like, hey, what up, man? How you doing? You know, you, you got the baddest tape in town right now. I know you got it with you for the party, making people dance. He was like, yeah, my tape, yeah, I got that tape. He reached in his pocket, like his uh, <laughs> inside Jack pocket, like he was pulling out some kind of official document. <laughs> and, he, and he gives me the tape, and I play this tape on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side is where I dub that tape. And so it was just all about how to get those tapes. And a lot of times when I'm getting to the main point of this episode is you were getting tapes from radio stations from New York. and those were Like I said, New York initially, a little later in the mid-80s, started getting more to like Philly was coming up and some other tapes were getting out there around me. I I never really got West Coast tapes. I I just never met anyone that had any like K-Day or stuff like that. That might be a little too early. I think I might have left right on the cusp of that happening is why, but it's pretty much um, New York tapes for me at this time 98.7 kiss FM new york i'm yvonne mobley with more music let's talk for you on kiss fm on these tapes you would get like unknown mixes like i would i wouldn't know who they were sometimes these people would give you a taste they would lie and be like yo i made a mix you know i had like a whole notebook where i tracked the playlist and I would write down DJ, whatever the neighborhood guy's name was, so-and-so mix. Then like like decades later when the internet came out, I found some of these mixes like, oh, this was like <laughs> some famous DJ or some famous mix record. People were just claiming credit for these tapes back then. So it was kind of the wild, wild west of tapes. First one that I got from New York Radio was WBLS, um, which in a lot of times these tapes, did, they, they didn't record the host So I didn't even know, there was never any dialogue. I was always like, people were just like catching like, you know, pause and pause on the song. So I wasn't even getting sometimes a full song. It would be like this, like part of the beginning, part of the ends missing. But it was WBLS, but uh, my guy who moved there from New York, Steve White, a.k.a. Romeo, who was a, a, a guy that lived in the building behind me, He was older, he had uh, a younger sister and brother. They were all older than me though, Kim and Ray, Raymond. And Steve was the premier MC when he moved there from Queens, I'm pretty sure Queens, New York for sure. And he was a premier MC in Stuttgart until he left. He was down with a group and he was like, they're gonna make a a record. I've been wanting to track him down forever. Having, you know? His name is Steve White, though, so that doesn't make it easy by any means. But he was like a guy that became a mentor. He actually wrote, not my first, I wrote a rap of my own before him, but I never performed a rap for anyone. He saw how much I was a, a fan. He knew that I was rapping and, and doing my thing. So he wrote me a rhyme specifically to help me learn about song structure. And I still have that rhyme, you know. Well, I'm the C-double-O, the L-I-E, quickly, you know it's me. You know, so I still know the rhyme word for word. They wrote me back in like 81, 82. And so when he came to town, he came, you know, with a stack of records. I remember I borrowed these records from him to make a tape. He had um, some rare records, too. The records that to this day are like pretty rare. Uh, rappermatical Five, Party People, uh, Trickoration, Western Gangster Town and Nice and Nasty Three, the Ultimate Rap. Those was the three main records that he gave me. He also gave me that same time um a tape that had like Bernard Wright, Hobo Blabo Tribbin. So like this tape is just like I still have this original tape, and it's like a very important thing in my life. And so, you also gave my first radio tape in probably 83. So, and that tape it was a WBLS tape, and I believe it's from the Mr. Magic's Rap Attack show. It had Crash Crew on the radio, fittingly. The radio. Every tape I got had that song back then. Crash Crew on the radio, it seems from my tapes was in high rotation uh, at least on the rap show Uh, Disco 4, Let It Whip but not only just Let It Whip by Disco 4 but it was a special version dedicated to Mr. Magic the whole first verse was about Mr. Magic then they went into the regular song I've ever heard like a special version of a song they had a song uh, the, the smurf craze was in full effect so papa smurf was on there leave the smurf alone gargamel or you'll be sorry um the mary jane girls dollar bill by jimmy spicer the chili kids uh ice arcade uh the fantasy three it's your rock buffalo gals on there you're listening to the world's famous rocket with dst and the song that I first heard from that tape was because how he introduced that tape to me. I'm sitting in the movie theater. I think I'm the third row back, the seat all the way to the right, you know, next to the aisle. And I'm just sitting there waiting for the beginning. I feel like the movie was E.T., but the, the dates doesn't seem to match up But let's, I know movies came there late, but I don't know, the six months later seems extreme. So, may or may not have been ET. Anyway, I'm sitting in a theater, and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, someone behind me puts headphones on my ears. And before I can even turn around to see who it is or be like, stop messing around, I hear punk "Punk rock, 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 rap." rap. And that was how I heard Cold Crush Brothers punk rock rap. I just looked back and there was Steve White like, yeah, man, this that new. And I was like, OK, I need that tape. And so that's why I got that tape with all those other songs. And that was sort of my introduction, really, to learning about how to get these songs from New York radio. And so from there, I'm pretty sure all from Steve White, a.k.a. Romeo, I got a few more WBLS tapes. And you know had a, a a few things sometimes I would get songs and I wouldn't know what they were for decades. Another one on there was, was a song that was only a you only caught a short snippet of it, like maybe like two minutes of it or something like that, and it had like um the to live in New York. Strong skin to live in New York. you got to have a long chance to live in New York. you got to think a lot of hard. It was to the beat of um Genius of Love, which is ironically just like. The song I talked about in that first episode, um, the same backing beat. Here's another song that when I first heard it, I had no idea what it was. And that one, I didn't know what it was for literally decades. When like in the mid to late 90s, when I started like traveling a lot and meeting a lot of different like DJs around the world, I would ask all collectors, yo, this song. And I would sing to live in New York. You got to have a lot of cash. And no, and no one ever knew what I was talking about. It wasn't until one day I was at Hi Fi Records in like 1997, 98, or something like that. I was at Hi Fi Records, two blocks down from Gramophone Records in Chicago. And I found the record. I don't even know how I knew it was the I don't think I knew it was the record. I just it just looked like it was something that was worth looking at cause the it is said yellow with the exclamation point. Y-E-L-L-A exclamation point. And I was like, okay, let me go to the listening station. And I was like, yo, this is to live in New York. And it was like literally the Tom Tom Club was involved in making this rap version of their own record. So like that's how those tapes were they were so important even though I didn't necessarily know what the songs were it kind of made the whole story you know those tapes have a bigger story than just hearing them for the first time it lasted for decades to me still looking for what was on those tapes and there's still songs on those tapes that I have not found what they are so uh, it's a, it, it has a very important connection to me <laughs> In March of 1984, after I'd been there for exactly four years at Stuttgart, we moved to Kansas. First to Manhattan, Kansas, and then to Junction City, Kansas. And while I was still in Manhattan, I met a guy named Warren, Warren Curry and later later known as MC Capri. And he was a guy that he started hanging out, being best friends. He was just one started to learn how to break dance. And I knew a little bit, so I showed him what I knew and then he became great at it. And then he also learned how to rap. And so he became my first rapping partner. He ended up moving to Fort Rowley. First, the Army base by Junction City, and he learned about this youth program at the Youth Center called the Fort Riley Breaking Patrol. I'm probably going to have to do a whole episode on this whole Fort Riley, Kansas situation. For sure, it's worthy of an episode. But through there, I met a guy, Eddie, who became... Our other partner and um, rap partner, we became the 3D Crew, and Eddie had connections in New York, uh, particularly family in Queens. So he was getting these tapes from 98.7 KISS FM. Kiss. First Red Alert, the great cool DJ Red Alert. Hey, you, don't touch that dial. We're jamming with Red Alert on ninety eight point seven Kiss FM. Like this. DJ Red Alert is blowing it up. And then also Chuck Chillout takes it's just past 8.55 at 98.7 KISS, WRKS-FM, New York City's number one radio station. To my left and your right is Chuck Out on 98.7 KISS-FM. Chuck, let's go to work. what you gonna do? And I think there was maybe a couple other people that would get uh, 98.7 KISS tapes, but I mainly remember getting them because of Eddie. When we first got these tapes... I can't speak for everyone, but for me, you know, even though we were just getting like the Friday and Saturday night mix shows, I thought that's how their radio was 24 hours a day. I didn't realize that the cool red alert was just like a very specific time. I thought they were just doing hip hop like that all day long. <laughs> Even a few years later, around the same time, there was, like, some hip-hop magazine, I don't remember which, had a picture of Bobby Brown wearing a 98.7 Kiss FM hat. And even though New Edition, you know, had some rap flavor in their songs, I still saw them as, like, a pop group and an R&B group. So I remember, like, seeing that picture being like, yo, Bobby Brown really is down with hip-hop. 98.7, I thought it was an all Hip hop station. This from that's all I would ever get was those tapes. Even those tapes, you know, you you would get like, even when they played like songs that weren't rap songs, they were like, given what I thought of as a rap flavor. It's like like it's like some of the things was like, Chef uh, Pettybone, aka the Bone, had master mixes of. Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, Say, Say, Say. Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, Say, Say, Say. Another Chef Betty Bone Master Mix on the station with more music. Let's talk 98.7 Kiss FM. Madonna Like a Virgin, um, Chaka Khan, and Melly Mel, Feel For You, Out of Touch, By Holland Oates. songs were not necessarily rap songs, even so some have rap on them. They were like these like special edits and master mixes. So I was like, oh, it's got a hip-hop flavor. Or the Latin Rascals, they would do in like the hip-hop and with the dance music and, 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 and that. But to me, it was just like they're giving a hip-hop flavor. So I thought it was like a hip-hop and dance music, which I guess they technically were, but I had a different vision of what that meant in, until much later, to probably like 1990 91, I learned more about what that was. And beyond Eddie, there also was one other person locally that was toward that connection. There was a local MC by the name of Champagne, and she was like rap royalty. I say blatantly, and, I, and I've talked to a few people from back then, uh, semi recently, because I always think maybe I'm just that's just me because she was a little older than me. I just I looked up to her, maybe that was me, but. Nah, a few other people, even ones who were like other mentors of mine that I've talked to recently back then or from back then, were like, nah, she was the baddest. She was the truth. She was, re- you know, ridiculous. I'm like, okay, so I know Champagne was the truth. And she was from New York. And we didn't talk much because she was like a local celebrity and I was like a, a, a nobody, <laughs> you know, basically. And so I was just like, hello, Miss Champagne. You know, I was like, it was just like, you know, you know, lucky to be in her presence type thing. And I had this particular memory because she had saw me and my group, me and Eddie, uh, as a 3D crew, because Capri had moved away. She came to a, a contest where we won first place in this rap contest. And so, right after that, I was walking, because she lived in the same neighborhood as Eddie. Mead Loop was where he lived, the neighborhood. And I was walking through Mead Loop, and she saw me from her place, and she called me over there to talk and we talked for a second. And it was like, wow, Champagne's acknowledging my existence. And she told me about WBLS. And she specifically was the first one to tell me about the WBLS 98.7 KISS wars, how they are like, she's like, yeah, you can go back and forth sometimes on the night. And you go to, you know, Red Alert, the are Molly Mall Magic, and you go down the dial, and then you hear them responding, and it would go back, and I was like, that sounds good. And I always remember just being like, so excited. Alert, red alert, red alert, red alert, red alert. alert. You ain't fresh, uh-uh, no doing it. You you, you ain't fresh, you ain't fresh. I'ma take it to your face so that you know you ain't fresh, Uh uh-uh, no you ain't musto much, you ain't fresh, you ain't fresh, you ain't fresh, if you know what I mean. DJ better never gone DJ better never gone suck give a bit example Molly, give a bit example Molly, give a bit example how a DJ works on this on this They back don't take it seriously we're only bugging. She was telling me stories about different people and, and just like on the radio and how it worked so that was sort of like my connection to the 98.7 Kiss was Eddie and then Champagne. This is now 84, 85. I have like maybe like five or six tapes from then. And I'm glad on these tapes, a lot of them have the host. And and that's the thing. And if you've never heard these tapes, like Red Alert and Chuck Out, you know, at this time, they weren't talking on the radio. They were just doing the mixes, um, pre-recorded mixes, I believe, for most of them. That was like, that's why the thing, went, part of the thing with um, what Molly Maul and Magic would say is how they were like, if you listen to um, Craig G's Duck Alert, you know, it's like he makes a comment about them being live because that was like, you know, he's talking about how they mix live. It's a live mix show, not pre-recorded. That was a thing. Um, At the final stage, cuts and scratches. Molly Mall, I think no one can match his cut and ability on the 1200s. And many listeners, they often wonder. Yo, man, was that a tape? Nah, never in a million years. You see the liveness gives us the feeling we're being accepted as true entertainers. And it will stay that way for the remainder of the century. That's how it's meant to be. You don't believe me? You will eventually. Because the situation, boy, you can't divert, especially who Molly? Uh-huh. But whoever the host was, you know, Jerry Young, <laughs> uh, Yvonne Mobley, I believe. Yeah. So like I remember some of those names would be like they'd be like come in and do the weather and like they'd be like, it's 40, 40 degrees, rainy outside in New York City, listen to cool DJ Red Alert. 98.7 Kiss FM, This the Saturday Night massive Dance Party. I'm Jerry Young, and on the turntable tonight we have cool DJ Red Alert. Oh, yes, about 24 minutes past the hour of 11. Clear and comfortable for the overnight with the low near 70 degrees. Like, those things that stand out in my head, and those different, like, different mega mixes and master mixes that were on there. Um, the, one key memory is when UTFO came out with Roxanne Roxanne, they did a special, like that Disco 4 version I mentioned earlier, UTFO did a 98.7 KISS version where they mentioned some of the hosts and their names, Instead of Kangol's first verse, it's all a verse about 98.7 Kiss. Kangol's verse is not even on that version of the song. And I remember hearing that. Yeah, what's up, man? 98.7 plays all the jams. I think they're fresh. Why do you say that? Cause ain't nobody better, ain't that right black? And I'm um, Can't go, and I'd like to say A is the best Ain't no one greater from beginning to end, and even the beginning They give away money cause they love when people's winning I like how Kiss Rocks cause Kiss Rocks the best Like the educator rapper MD, they never press So when I heard this, I wasted no time I turned my radio to kiss and I heard this rhyme It went me, the doc, a hood, a rock It was early in the morning, can't where was the doc? Then Yvonne Mobley came into play to rock and shock for her time of the day. Then there's Chris Welch, then Charlie Burger, Chuck Lanny, Tony Q, and G.P. Alexander. So listen to Kiss, is no loss, it's a gain, and forever on top of the charts remains. will Roxanne, remain. Roxanne. Roxanne, Roxanne. That might have been the way I first heard Roxanne. Roxanne, let's do that. And so those are some of the key ones. Like there was a master mix of Houdini's Five Minutes of Funk with the crazy like machine gun edits and stuff. I think that might have been Latin Rascals, but I'm not sure. Songs like uh, Straff, Set It Off and Nolan, Yo Little Brother, Brother Don rap songs that had that electro feel that like stood out in my mind. Because of those tapes, I've always, to this day, just like, hold Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out in high regard. And they both have their own style and flavor. I like it, because like, I have this memory of the Red Alert tape where he's cutting up Tila Rock's Breakdown and just kill it. Like, it's this particular tape, and and like, it it goes, um, it's 85. It's like, Mantronic, Fresh is the Word. Fresh is the word. That's how I'm describing. Tila Rock Breakdown, Run DMC, here we go. Oh, yeah. Run DMC, Rock box with this, with this really dope like echo chamber he does at one part. Run. Then UTFO, bite it. bite it. And that sequence is like, man, that was like how I heard some of those. I think maybe all those songs for the first time was on that tape. But also the first time I heard uh, High Fidelity 3, Satisfaction or Dynamic Force. It's not right. or uh, Beat of the Street by the Choice MCs. Um, the Imperial Brothers became the rock. We come to rock. That was all, the first time I heard those was through DJ Red Alert mixes. So that was like my way of hearing so many rap songs the first time. I and mean, like one thing that was big, like Red Alert was playing the B-Boys girls. That was like the A-side. So Chuck out was dope because a lot of times he was playing the flip side. You know, like Red Alert was probably was like on the A-side of a single Chuck Chill Out would be on the B side. I don't know how like consistent that was. It's on this couple of tapes I have. That's how it seems. So like Chuck Chill Out was playing Stick Up Kid. And that was like to this day my favorite B-boy song. Like I was walking around that whole Summer with the with the sharp double cassette deck blasting stick up kids. Ironically, in some cases, like I I was probably a target in a lot of those cities. Like I remember particularly in the summer of '85, me and Eddie walking around Detroit. My my grandparents lived there. Like they lived on Rangoon, and we would walk around. You know these streets. You know were like half the buildings were like. Abandoned and are burnt out, you know. When like houses, like if a street had ten houses, only five of them were lived in. And we were walking down, blasting stick up kids on the radio. Just man, it was in this that, that that tape with Chuck Chill Out or Red Alert, you know, all through Detroit, not just Detroit but Galesburg. Not only that, but like if one of the first times I heard like a non East Coast artist on the radio was him playing killers. Killers, Killers, Killers Ice-T Killers, Killers. Killers which I talked about in the last season he only played a dub version so like you know that it's he, hard to find like any like West Coast rap getting played in New York at that time but Chuck Chillout did play the dub version of Killers and he played that same night he played um, Master OC and Crazy Eighty Private Lessons and he played the Rock he's incredible like the B-side because you know Red Alert had Breakdown and I also loved how like Chuck Chillout had this like, unique style of scratch and it had to swing to a scratch. And I always be like, how's he doing that? No one's scratch sounds like that, it just didn't swing to it. from the way he mixed. He reminded me of like my mentor, DJ Pill, like where he's like, he has so much personality on the wheels. And even though I could never see Chuck out, I could picture him being a character from the way he did his mixes. Like he did play, uh, I, have a, I have a tape where he does play B-Boys, girls, and he's scratching up when they say, uh, hit him in the head with a jar of mustard, <laughs> which is a bugged out thing to say. And he clearly understood that. He's just scratching for like the longest time. J-J-Jaw of mustard. Her mother was disgusted. Hit hey, Vicky, in the head with a jar of mustard. With a jar With a jar of, 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 of mustard. With a jar mustard. With a, a jar of With a of, of, of mustard. Jar. <laughs> like, why is he scratching jar of mustard the most, like, random thing in the already, you know, in the song? So, like, it kind of show you that Chuck Chilla was his own personality on the radio. So that was just like so important for me, falling in love with, with New York radio. Then later I learned about like, I learned about like Zulu Beach Show and, you know, Africa Islam and Donald D. I learned about the world famous Supreme Team. Through these tapes, because on one of those first BLS tapes, how I heard Buffalo Gals the world famous Supreme Team. I later learned they had a radio show and like C, get, you C know, get busy or get lost and I learned about those shows later but it was really BLS and the 98.7 Kiss that really like solidified it and then like also that same summer of 85 someone did come with a tape from Power 99 in Philly I don't remember I don't know if I ever knew if it was all from the radio because again there's no dialogue or hosting or, or station breaks you know it's just music that tape had Craig G shout rap and Dr. Rock and company girlfriends, boyfriends and had the Corner Boys, which was the first song where, you know, Jazzy Jeff's on their own their DJ doing the scratches. I heard Jazzy Jeff for the first time. Uh, Roxanne Chante's Bite This, one of my favorites from back then. Needle to the Groove, Medtronic. So I remember that tape being like one of the biggest tapes you know, besides the Red Alert and Chuck Chalot tapes. And then from there, it was different stations. It was like Cable 94 and Peoria, when I went to see my Uncle Chris. Later on, you know, when I moved to, to Illinois, it was WNUR and all the shows they had. You know, when I went to Detroit, it was WJLB, the Electric Flying Mojo, and the Wizard, Jeff Mills, with his pitched up, ridiculously skillful mixes. It's going off, and I got a couple of those tapes. Good day, welcome to the Great White North. I'm Bob McKenzie, this is my brother Doug. How's it going, eh? Okay. Okay, there's nothing wrong with your turntable. We were just tricking you, eh? It's a good day. He's the wizard, the magnificent wizard, the mightiest maker of mystical magic the world has ever seen. Creator of the one and only original dream machine. He can design and manufacture a dream specifically for you. What's more, he's the only one who can guarantee it'll come true. That's his His mightiness, the omnipotent, the magnificent, wizard of all... Even like in a small place like Galesburg, going to visit my family there, they had WKKC and um, there was Vinny. He was a friend of the family. I remember even like at one point he took me over to his apartment because I heard him play like a radio show. Um, He played um, Globe of the Soul Sonic Force. He played Celebrate. And I was like, this song is amazing. I thought it was, to me, that was like a hit song. I can't believe that that song became obscure. Like to me, it was like, Destined to be a hit. I cannot forget my mindset. There's a heavy heartbeat within my chest. There's feeling inside those feet against that. So I move, I make it with a pep in my step. I cannot forget my mindset. So I remember, like, when he finished his show on the radio, he came to my grandparents' house talking about that song and he let me come over the next day to his apartment and make a tape and I still have that tape, you know, whatever they gave me of those songs. So those were like some of those key memories. So shout out to all the radio DJs, hip hop radio DJs, radio shows of the 80s. Obviously the ones that I, I listened to and was inspired by that helped me be inspired when I first got in the radio with Time Travel and WNUR. Those are some of the names I talked about who inspired me right there and it helped me, can, you know, stay connected at a time before we had... You know, before I had a job to buy a lot of records or before we even had magazines and TV or the Internet, obviously, to find out about the music, those tapes were the way. And I'm always looking for more tapes. So if y'all out there, if you got in those tapes, Red Alert, Chuck Chillout, Supreme Team, Zulu Beat, Awesome 2, Vandy C, The Wizard, Lady B, Mimi, Mimi Brown, you let me know. Hit me up because I'm always on the hunt, still on the hunt. Every rap song, especially from that era in time, and I want to close this off playing one of those classic Latin Rascals master mixes from 98.7 Kiss FM 84 style. <laughs>